0: Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture, all Scripture is what God breathed, and it's profitable for what? Doctrine? reproof, correction, and instructions in righteousness that the man of God might be equipped to, to do all that God has called him to do, to all the good works that God has called us to. But doctrine, the Bible is filled with doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is why we believe what we believe. It's a series of ideas. Oh, What do we believe about who God is? What do we believe about who we are in God? That's doctrine. Why do we believe what we believe? And Romans, man, it's a book of doctrine. All the doctrines of the Bible are crammed masterfully into this book of Romans. And Paul has been masterfully really just unpacking these truths uh, for us. Uh, It's been said of Romans that when you drop your Bible, it should automatically flip open to the book of Romans. It's just so rich and it's filled with so much truth. Uh, I've heard people ask, if you could only have one book, you're stranded on a desert island and you could only take with you one book of the Bible, what would it be? And Romans was the answer. It's because all of the doctrines that we find in scriptures are found in the book of Romans. It's beautiful and we've been studying through that. But something that we need to keep in mind as we've been studying through all of these things, all this doctrine, is that Romans is a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Now, have you ever walked in on a conversation, in the middle of the conversation, and you're like, now, what's going on here? What do you guys, I'm a little bit confused. See, that's what can happen to us if we kind of just jump into the middle of Romans. And so uh, I'm going to take a minute to to bring us up to speed because, you know, the chapter marks, they're helpful, but they're not inspired. Uh, The verse numbers, they're helpful, but they're not inspired. They were added there later so that we could keep track of where we are. Uh, But this is a a letter that we're in the middle of. And like I said on Sunday, to understand where Paul is going, we kind of need to know where he's been. And so a quick refresher uh, on where we've been in Romans up to this point. So uh, first three chapters, uh, Paul was showing us uh, our need for justification. Uh, chapters three and four, Paul was showing us how we receive justification. As we began to unpack chapter five, Paul, uh, he, he, he shared with us the blessings of justification and the basis for justification. Justification. Uh, You know, Paul's been just walking us through this, that that we're all guilty. We all need to be justified. That we're justified not by our works, but by grace through faith. How is it that we receive justification? How is it that we receive this gift of the Lord? Well, by faith, through grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a gift that we can't earn. And, uh, you know, as Paul continues on after he shows us how to receive boy, the, the blessings of justification, we looked at that. Uh, what are the pla- practical blessings that we find in justification? Boy, you know, we're at peace with God. We have access to God. Uh, we can uh, uh, rejoice in the Lord. We have the hope of, of heaven. We have a, the, the hope even in the midst of tribulation. Uh, We're we're saved from wrath. All of these blessings Paul unpacked for us in chapter 5. What does it mean to be justified practically? What does that mean in my life? And then uh, he finished up chapter 5 with uh, really the basis for justification. That through Adam, sin and death entered the world. But through Jesus, through his obedience, uh, forgiveness, life, through his obedience. And so... Chapters 1 through 5 all deal with justification, our need for it, how we receive it, the benefits of it, and how it works out practically for us. Justification, it's good stuff. But now in chapters 6 through 8, Paul shifts gears and he moves from justification to sanctification. He begins to to share with us and discuss the doctrine of sanctification. And and we began to talk about this on Sunday. What is justification? Well, it's just as if I've never sinned at all. That all of my sins have been placed on Jesus' account, and Jesus' righteousness has been charged to my account. That transaction took place on the cross of Calvary. It's beautiful. So we've been justified, just as though we've never sinned. But what is sanctification? Sanctification simply means to be set apart. Uh, we are practically set apart for a purpose, set apart unto God. Now, sanctification, being set apart, in the life of the believer, it's something that happened in a moment. It was uh, once and forever. But it's also a lifelong process, and it's also our ultimate reality. See, here's the thing about sanctification. It's this multifaceted word. It's not only the one-time event. It is, we are sanctified uh, positionally, But we're also being sanctified practically. And someday we will be uh, sanctified completely, ultimately in heaven. So we're sanctified positionally. That is, we are in Christ. The moment you were saved, the moment your sins were forgiven, the Bible tells us that we are in Christ. You are set apart. You're bound for heaven. Nothing can undo that. You are sanctified positionally in Christ. But see, here's the problem. Although we are positionally in Christ, we still sin. We still have this propensity to sin. And so, although we are positionally sanctified, we are being practically sanctified throughout our lives. Now, Now, what does practical sanctification mean? What is it? It's really the effect of obeying God's word in our lives so as we walk with the Lord so we were saved positionally but then as you know we just walk through life we're like, man we're still sinners there's still things that need to be worked out of us there's still things that need to be worked into us and that's what sanctification is that's what the Lord is doing in our lives and so we're sanctified positionally we're in Christ uh we're sanctified uh practically things are being worked in and out of us, and then ultimately someday we'll be sanctified uh, in heaven. So sanctification just means that we're set apart, that we're being set apart, and ultimately we will be set apart. But that's what uh, six through eight is about. It's all about this process of sanctification. Uh, And on Sunday, we looked at, at chapter six. And Paul really kind of laid out some truth concerning our relationship to sin, that really helps us in this process of practical sanctification. How is it that we, uh, you know, walk in obedience? How is it that, that, that we, uh, you know, please the Lord? How is it that, that, you know, we live our lives as Christians? What does it look like? And, and Paul kind of raises the question uh, at the beginning of chapter six. He says, well, what shall we say then, right? If, if, uh, if we're sin abounds, grace abounds more, should we just continue on sinning that grace might abound? Should we just keep on sinning that God's grace might just shine forth? And we talked about that on Sunday. Of course not. Uh, Paul actually says, God forbid. It's the strongest way he could say, absolutely not. So we don't just keep on sinning because grace abounds. Why? Well, we talked about three reasons why on Sunday. Paul says, this is what you have to understand concerning this thing uh, of sin and your relationship to sin now that you've been saved, now that you've been sanctified, set apart, now that you're being practically sanctified. Uh, and the first thing Paul told us, he said, you need to, to know. Know, there's a couple things. Know that, that the old man is dead. That, that when we were saved, we were baptized into the death of Jesus. Right, The physical baptism that we take Uh, part in, there's no baptismal there. There used to be a baptismal. For for those of you who haven't been in the old Gold Street school, I used to point to the baptismal. It's a habit. But when we went through the process of uh, being baptized, that's what it's a picture of. uh, That we are baptized into the death of Jesus. So that we're dead to the old man. But we didn't die to stay dead. Paul says something else you need to know. Not only is the old man dead, but the new man is alive. You're a new creature in Christ. You identify with Jesus' death that you might identify with his resurrection and walk in newness of life. Paul says you need to know that the old man is dead and that you're a new creature in Christ now that you've been born again. Secondly, he says you need to reckon. Reckon the old man dead. What does reckon mean? Right? It's not like the old cowboy. I reckon we make our way down to the watering hole and get ourselves a sarsaparilla. There's a question there. Now, reckon, biblically, is is an absolute statement. It's an accounting term. When you reckon the figures, it means to consider the facts, to add them up, and come to the right conclusion. It's it's an accounting term. Like, the math doesn't lie. You add it up. All right, the old man is dead. I'm a new creature in Christ. Therefore, I'm going to reckon the old man dead. And then Paul goes on, after he says, to know and to reckon to yield. Now that you... That, that, that you know these things. Now that you've done the math and you've added it up. See, to, to, uh, to know is, uh, it deals with the mind. To reckon deals with the mind. You know these things, you add up these things, but to yield deals with the will. So Paul now says, now you know these things, what are you going to do with these things? You know, sin no longer has control over you. You're dead to sin. Sin no longer has a right to boss you around. You're no longer a slave to sin. And that's really kind of where Paul leaves it in in chapter 6. He says, you know, he uses analogy of a slave and a master. Uh, the, the, if you want to serve sin you still can but whatever you serve you become the slave to if you want to serve sin unto death you're free to do that but you're not bound to it anymore you are now able to serve righteousness unto life is really what, what Paul says so in, in Romans 6 Paul shows us how to stop doing bad things that we're no longer bound to sin we don't have to we're set free from the bondage of sin and isn't that good news aren't you glad for that as Christians Man, that we are not bound to sin. We don't have to obey the lusts of our flesh. Man, that's so great. But now, here in, in chapter seven, or after in chapter six, Paul shows us this, this truth that we don't have to live a life of indulgence and sinfulness. We're not bound to our, carnal, or our sinful tendencies. He shows us how not to do good things. And so there's kind of two extremes. You're like, how not to do good things? What are you talking about? So there, there's two extremes, uh, on the one extreme, you have license. Well, since, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds more, then we're free to do whatever we want. and We just license to sin. Well, Paul set us free from license in chapter six. That's not the way it works. You're not bound to those sinful things anymore. A dead man is no longer tempted to sin because he's dead. He's no longer bound to sin. But now here in chapter seven, there's the opposite side of that coin. The opposite side of license is legalism, right? And, and that's where Paul says, listen, you've been... Uh, justified by faith, by grace. And, and you'll be sanctified the same way. You, you can't uh, earn uh, sanctification either. You're gonna have to, to lean on the Lord for this. So he, this really, all of chapter seven is, is Paul setting us free from the law. So chapter six was all practically about being set free from sin, from the old man. Now chapter seven is about being set free from legalism and the law. And what is legalism? What does it mean to be legalistic? Legalism simply is this, believing that you can become holy and pleasing to God by obeying laws, by doing things. And you can't, and we've talked about that. That we cannot please the Lord, we cannot earn favor with the Lord through the things that we do. We're saved by grace through faith because of what Jesus did and what he did Uh, alone. So chapter 7, all about setting us free from uh, legalism. And so verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as uh, he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, If while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the uh, oldness of the letter. So in chapter 6, again Paul uses this analogy of the slave and the master to really show us that we're set free from the bondage of sin. We no longer have to serve the master of sin. Now in chapter 7, he uses the analogy of marriage to show us that we are uh, no longer in bondage to uh, the law. And th- in this illustration, he says, all right, if uh, a man and a woman are married, right, uh, they're under the, the law of marriage. Now, how long is a marriage supposed to last according to God? A marriage is forever, forever. That's why when we stand at the altar, we say, until death do us part. You know, we say, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, and for richer or for poor. We don't stand at the altar before the Lord and everybody and say, you know, I promise to be a good husband, a faithful wife, as long as I don't get sick of you. I'll be a faithful husband until you get under my skin, or until I just can't take it anymore, and and then I'm out. No, it's until death do we part, and so Paul uses this analogy. The law of marriage is is until death do us part, and this isn't where we, you know, this isn't a passage of scripture that is about marriage necessarily, but there are truths concerning marriage in this passage, uh, that, that marriage really is something that is to be for life. And it's sad that we see so many Christians buying into this idea that the grass is greener and that, you know what, I'm tired, I, I, I'm irritated, I'm at my wit's end, and, and I'm just out. See, so Paul makes this, uh, this, it's not even an observation, he just declares this truth that marriage is until death. The one thing that can break the law of marriage is death. Why? Because marriage is a physical thing. When we are married to one another, what does the Bible say? The two become one flesh. So we're bound by a physical act. So the only thing that can break that physical union is a physical act of death, or the Bible would say adultery. But just understand, this isn't a passage on marriage. Paul is using this as an analogy to describe something else. But there is a truth concerning marriage, that marriage is forever. Don't be duped into the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. God's perfect plan and will for you is to stay married. For each, uh, you know, member of the marriage to walk in accordance to what God's word has to say. That husbands, you would love your wives like Christ did, love the church that He laid down His life for her, and that wives, you would submit to your your husbands and love him. There's so much beauty in that. That there's so much blessing in that. And so don't be duped by what the world says. But, but Paul uses this as an analogy. Say, all right. So if the, if, the, if the husband dies, well, then the woman is free to marry somebody else because the, she's no longer bound to that man, right? If she goes around marrying other dudes while he's still alive, first of all, he's probably gonna have some issues with that. What'd you go marry another guy for? But secondly, she would be an adulteress. It would be illegal, So if he dies, she's free. She can marry whoever she wants. And that's what Paul is saying to us. He's saying, listen, uh, you are dead to the law. And isn't that interesting? See, he doesn't say that the law is dead to us. He's saying that we are dead to the law. See, the law is still alive and well. The law isn't dead. The law is still doing what the law was given to do. That is to, to show men our depravity and our wickedness. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And so the only way that the wife would be able to remarry if she was dead is how? Is if she came back to life. If she re- And that's the exact picture that Paul painted for us in chapter six. It, I mean, he really just, he puts it in such a, an amazing way. So we have been buried with Christ. We're dead, not only to the old man, but to the law, that we might be raised in newness of life, no longer bound to the law, but now we are free to be united with who? Jesus. We can be united with the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, you are uh, dead to the old man. You are now dead to the law. Uh, and we are united Uh, with Christ. But being dead to the law, right? So this kind of raises the same question that we talked about on Sunday. Being dead to the law, does that that mean that we just kind of live lawless lives? No, because we're united to Christ. See, being dead to the law doesn't mean we just throw the law out, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute. It it means that the dynamic to the law has changed, that, that we don't approach the law the same way. It doesn't mean that the law is bad. The law still brings about blessing, uh, the law, obeying the law, still brings about sanctification in our life. But since we're dead to the law, our motivation for obeying the law has changed. Right? We no longer uh, try to obey the law because uh, we have to. We obey the Lord now because we get to. It's not a matter of obligation. It's a matter of love and dedication. It's a matter of desiring God's will For my life, I want to be fruitful for the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. I want to obey the Lord. Why? Because he's done so much for me. See, so it completely changes the whole thing. We're not obeying the law to try to earn God's favor. We're obeying the law because we love the Lord and we want to please him and and to serve him. Uh, We died to the law that we might live a life to the Lord. And again, this is where it gets sticky. And this is where we're going to see Paul wrestle this out. And maybe you're thinking the same thing that I was thinking when I first read through this. Well, if I'm dead to the old man, if I'm dead to the law, if there's all this freedom, if I've been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life, if I'm united to him, then why do I still sin? Then why is it that we still sin? And again, this is the frustration that Paul is really I- I- expressing. How do we walk in that newness of life? And he tells us r- right there uh, in verse 7, verse 6, pardon me, the end of verse 6. He says, he says, but now, verse 6, we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of God. The letter. See, how do we walk in newness of life? It's by the Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus was leaving, he said, I must go that another might come. He said, it's a good thing that I'm, I'm going to die because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the helper. See, it's an internal thing now. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. The Lord has written his law on our hearts. We talked about this on Sunday in Jeremiah 31. Uh, he's uh, written his law on the tablets uh, of our hearts, according to 2 Corinthians 3. We're to be led by his spirit, uh, not by the law, necessarily, but by the spirit. And, and, and we are as Christians, if you are a believer, you know that to be true. There are warnings that will go off in your heart and in your conscience. You might not even know the verse or why it's wrong, but you know that it's not right it's not that we're following the letter of the law, we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, that is where, boy, we we find freedom. We're not bound to the law. We can simply rely on the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in spirit. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? It means walk according to God's leading your life. As he leads you, as he directs you, as he guides you. See, we have an option. We're gonna talk about this. We can, we can walk according to the spirit. We can walk in obedience to the spirit as he leads us and directs us. Or we can walk according to our own will. And, and that's the struggle that Paul's gonna unpack here in just a minute. So we're liberated from the law because we're dead to the law. We're no longer married to the law, but now we are united to Jesus. And now Paul continues on uh, his uh, letter here. In verse seven, he says, "'What shall we say then?' Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of uh, evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revealed and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And so, Paul now, he says, well, you know, the law is good. It's not bad. And that would be the question that would be raised. And Paul anticipates this question again. If the law arouses in us sinful passions. And isn't that what Paul said? He said that, that the law, it causes us to sin. It arouses in us sinful passions. Uh, there in verse five, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members. So, so how does that work? How is it that the law uh, really kind of uh, arouses those sinful passions. It's the whole don't touch, like the red button. You ever see the red button that says do not push? I've actually never seen one of those, but they're all over, like in cartoons, and that's the thing. It says don't touch, and everyone's like, I have to touch it. Uh, I've never seen one of those in real life, but what I have witnessed in real life is when you tell your kids don't touch the wood stove, it's hot. And what do they do? They touch the wood stove. Or they, they've done studies where, you know, there's been the bench that says wet paint, don't touch. It's the first thing you do when you see a sign that says wet paint. You're like, doesn't look wet to me, right? There's this thing about uh, a, a rule that causes us to want to break it. Hey, don't eat of that one tree. What did Adam and Eve do? They could eat of all the other trees. For some reason, things that, that, that aren't even normally tempting to us. Well, I shouldn't do that, so I, I'm tempted to do it psychologists have tried to figure it out. Oh, you know, it's a, a release of serotonin or, you know, it's, it's about the cortisol and all these different things. And it's like the Bible knows this, what the law does. So Paul is anticipating this argument, right? So if the law arouses my sinful passions, then are you saying that the law is bad? And so Paul is like, no, of course the law isn't bad. And he's going to tell us why the law isn't bad. And the first thing he tells us why the law is bad, the law reveals our sin. Uh, we need to have our sin revealed to us, and that's the first thing that Paul says, is that, that it reveals our sin it shows us. Paul says that he didn't know that he was a sinner. He didn't understand that he was uh, covetous until the law uh, was shown to him, the Paul uh, not the Paul. The, the law made Paul realize what a sinner he was. That's what the law does. It shows us how sinful we, we really are. Uh, I I was on a a fishing trip. It really wasn't a fishing trip. Uh, When I was uh, a younger man, I used to do a lot more fishing than I do now. I love fishing. Uh, But we'd just fish the Klamath River all the time. And, you know, I was like young. I was in my 20s. And I really didn't care about regulations too much, just to be honest with you. I just didn't even think about regulations. And so, uh, you know, we were fishing. And I'll tell you the best spot to go steelhead fishing on the whole entire Klamath River. Uh, You go past Hornbrook, and you follow that road past the Klamathon Bridge, and you drive all the way up until you see the dam, and there's a bridge that goes across, and there's a little, I don't know, little structure across the river, and by that structure, there's this outlet, there's this tube that just flows out into the river. Right there, you'll catch amazing amounts of steelhead. Well, as it turns out, uh, that structure across the river is the fish hatchery, right? I grew up here, and you think that you would know that. So I, I drove my work vehicle, you know, Meeks Lumber, it's parked there on the side of the road. Me and my buddy are down there in the river boom, yard out these steelhead. We're bringing them up to the road, showing their cars. We're like, whoa, look at these. And they're honking at us. They're like, you are idiots. We're like, great fishing spot. But see, we didn't realize. See, the law revealed our sinfulness. It, 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 we didn't realize until we saw the law. They're like, oh, man, we thought we just discovered the best fishing hole on the whole river. And so Paul is saying the law, it reveals our sin. It shows us that we're sinners. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Where there is no law, there's no transgression. You can't break a law that doesn't exist. Not only does the law uh, reveal uh, our sin, uh, but also, Paul goes on to say, that the law, it arouses our sin. It's like we talked about. It's the do not push button. Uh, It's the don't touch the wet paint. It's the don't fish here. There's actually a gigantic red sign on the way that I don't know how he says, "Do not fish from this point to the dam." Just is for yeah. They did their due diligence. I was just an idiot. But the law arouses sin when we're bound to the law. Under the law, it, it, it arouses our sinful passions, and that's why legalism is such a drain. Because it, we try to uh, we try to keep the law. We try to do something that we just can't. The law actually arouses sinful passions. And so when we try, the more we try to keep the law, the harder it is to keep the law. Does that make sense? And and that's the way that it goes. The the, the harder we try to keep it, uh, the harder it is to keep. Uh, Then Paul shows us, he points out that the law kills there in verse 10. Uh, Paul says this. He says, and the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. So Paul says the, the law kills. When we break the law, uh, that's sin, and the wages of sin is death. Now Leviticus, Leviticus 18.5, it says, If we were able to keep the law, uh, that we would live. Now, that's basically what God told people. Here's the law. If you keep it, you'll live. But good luck. We can't keep the sin. And so Paul says, I found that law of life, that law that God said, if you keep this, you'll live. I found that to be death, Paul says. Because Paul understood that he could not be saved by keeping the laws. He, he realized that he couldn't keep those commandments, and in fact, Galatians goes on to say in Galatians three twenty one, it says, "If there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. If there was a law that could be good, given that could give life, there's a law that we could obey that could give life. Well, then law, then then life would be by the law. Righteousness would be, but it, it's not. It can't be. We can't obey the law. It, 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 it's a capability we do not possess." And if anybody could say, man, there's just no way that we can keep the law. If anybody can say, I tried, and what I found in that law of life is death, it's Paul. Because remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Jew of Jews. If anybody had tried to keep the law, it was Paul. And this is what he says of himself in Philippians 3.5. He was circumcised on the eighth day. That is, he participated in all of the right religious activities. He was of the stock of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was born into the right nation. He was a descendant of Abraham. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Remember what the Pharisees were all about? Keeping the law to the letter. Down to the point to where when they tithed, they tithed their their spices. Here it's, you know, nine grains of pepper for me, one grain of pepper for the Lord, nine grains of... They obeyed the law to the T. But Paul recognizes that that did not bring him life, but in fact, it brought him death. It didn't draw him closer to the Lord, but it actually pushed him further away. It gave him the illusion of being godly, and that's what legalism does. See, legalism comes with this illusion of being godly, that we can somehow earn God's favor by obeying his rules. But what happens when we try to do that is one of two things. We either become broken and condemned because we have failed miserably, Or we become incredibly hypocritical and judgmental because we think that we're better than everybody else. And Paul has recognized that, man, it's not something that we can do. The law, the law kills. And then lastly, he says that the law shows uh, just how sinful sin is. There in in verse 12, and verse 13, he says, Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. That the commandment might be exceedingly sinful. So Paul is just pointing out here the true nature of sin, the sinfulness of sin. He's exposing sin for what it is, how bad, how terrible it is. The law shows us just how bad sin really is. And that's part of the problem that we have. Really, not only in our culture, but in the world, is that we no longer call sin, sin. We've gotten to this place where even in the church, there's debates about what is right and what is wrong. Concerning things that are black and white in the Bible. Things like living together, cohabitation. You know, there's studies that have done over 60% of Christians currently believe that it's okay to cohabitate. That is to live with your boyfriend or girlfriend out of wedlock in a sexual way. 60% of the church says, ah, no problem with that. The Bible is pretty clear on that. The church today is struggling with the whole issue of homosexuality, whether that's right or not. The Bible is clear on that one, folks. Abortion, again, the Bible, clear. The law shows just how sinful sin really is. Isaiah 520 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah says, woe, be careful. And that's the place that we're in today. We call evil good and good evil. It's what's taking place even currently. You guys have seen the news. You guys see what's going on in Israel. Man, what a tragedy it is as Hamas broke the southern border of Israel, launched thousands of rockets, flew in with gliders and rode in on dirt bikes and jeeps. And and they didn't come in against military outposts. They didn't mow down soldiers or blow up caches of weapons. No, they gunned down sleeping partiers. Uh, they, they, They mowed down innocent civilians. They took hostages, women and children raped women, decapitated children. The most abominable things you could possibly imagine. And so now there have been protests all over the world. Here's the crazy thing. The protests aren't for Israel. Many of them are for the Palestinians. And you say, what on earth is going on? We've lost our minds here. How can we condone? Members of our own United States Congress refusing to... Condone those actions, saying that we should take away aid from Israel currently. Now, oh, we're calling what is evil good and what is good evil. Oh, we've we've lost our way. And at the end of that section in Isaiah, where he says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, he, he ends with, "Woe is me." Right? Sin is terrible, and it's not just the big ones. It's the little ones. What about our attitude that stinks? Oh, what, what about our pride? All the law shows just how sinful sin is. And, and why are all of those things good? Why is it good that, that the law uh, you know, reveals sin? Why is it good that the, the law arouses sin? Why is it good that the law kills? Why is it that the law shows us how sinful sin is? Because all of those things point to our desperate need for a savior. All of those things point to our need for Jesus. And so Paul argues, listen, the law is not bad. The law is good. And this is why the law is good. The law is good. It came from a holy and righteous and pure God. The problem isn't with the law. The problem is with us and our sinfulness. And now Paul, in these last few verses, really gets to that struggle. That struggle between his carnal nature and his spiritual nature. Verse 14 says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will uh, not do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So Paul is just wrestling this thing out. So, so now we know that we're dead to the old man. We know that we're dead to the law. We know that the law is good because it revealed our need for the Savior But there's still just that practical reality of how does this play out in my life? Uh, There's this wrestling that's taking place internally within me. And Paul talks about that as this wrestling between the carnal and the spiritual. Now, what is the carnal? 1 Corinthians 2 describes the carnal man. 1 Corinthians 2 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. The natural man is the unsaved man, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual uh, saves, judges all things, for he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, and I, brethren, he continues on in 1 Corinthians 3, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. So Paul is addressing the Corinthian church who has all sorts of things going wrong with them. And, and, and he breaks people into these categories. There's the natural man, who, the unsaved individual, who, who cannot discern spiritual things because they're not saved. And we've talked about this before. That if you're one who comes to church week by week, week by week, month by month, month by month, and you hear the gospel and you don't respond. you're like, it just doesn't make sense to me. God has given you enough information to walk in He's giving you enough information to make a decision with. And you'll come to that place in your life where the things that are spiritually discerned, you just won't get until you're spiritually born again. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying the natural mind has no discernment of spiritual things. It's spiritually dead. It's unsaved. But the spiritual man, the saved man, he discerns all things. But then there's this third category. There's the carnal man. And the carnal man is a spiritual man who never never matured, uh, who ignored the spirit and fed the carnal nature. And they were never able to move from the milk, from being a little infant in Jesus, to being mature, right? And we are. That's this whole process of sanctification is is what this is about. That we don't remain little babies. The Lord doesn't want us to be 50-year-olds in diapers, right? What a tragic thing that would be. I mean, yeah, that would not be. He wants us to be spiritually mature. He wants us to grow, And so the carnal man is the one who who never matured. And that's the problem with sin. That's the problem with sin. It it stunts our growth. And so now Paul, he gets into this kind of uh, paradox where there's this wrestling that takes place, this duality in our nature, where he's wrestling out between the spirit and the the flesh. And Paul here, he, he says, man, the law... It can't enable you to do good, right? He discusses what the law does, right? It, 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 it brings death, it, 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 you know, arouses our passion to sin, all these things that the law does. Now he gets into what the law doesn't do, and the law does not make us good. It doesn't change who we are. The law can't make us do the things that we want to do. That's what he wrestled. These things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The old nature, the old man versus uh, the the spirit. Uh, We're born again. Spiritually, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But we're still carnal. We still have this body of flesh that we cart around with us. Uh, Our mind, our will, and our personality. All of it. We're either being motivated by the carnal nature or motivated by the spiritual nature. And this is the conflict, this is the paradox that Paul finds himself uh, in. And, and this is where we really sense his frustration. Now, I don't want to lose my temper, I want to be caring, but I find myself losing my temper. What's going on here? So when Paul says this, though, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I, I want to do, I don't do, now, is Paul just kind of completely out of control? Some of say, well, you know, and I've heard Christians say this, well, you know how it goes. I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. It's just the old carnal nature, you know, but we're not just out of control, right? 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, that there's no sin or temptation that has overtaken us except for that which is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with a temptation will make a way of escape uh, that we are able to bear it. Uh, there's never a situation where like, wow, that's just too much. I couldn't help myself but to sin. Paul wasn't completely out of control, but we struggle with temptation, and that's what Paul goes on to say in verses 20 through 23. This is really all about temptation. I find then a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul, he he recognizes this reality. There's this struggle that's going on between our spiritual nature and our carnal nature. Now again, it's clear that it's not out of control. We have a choice, but there's this battle that takes place. And this battle takes place because we are tempted Uh, temptation comes to all of us. I told you guys the story on Sunday where you know we were talking about being dead to the old man and how I've been trying to drop a few pounds and how my wife was hesitant to make cookies because she didn't want to tempt me. And I looked her right in the eye and I said, I reckon the old man dead. Don't worry, make those cookies. And I had to confess to you guys that I didn't pass on the cookies, but I scarfed the cookies down. I I, I was tempted. I, I made that choice. Uh, temptation comes. The question is, what are we going to do with temptation when it does come? When I want to do good, Paul, Paul recognizes, man, temptation is always right there with me. Uh, even when I do good, I know that my righteousness is as filthy rags because of my carnal nature. So how do we have victory uh, over our temptation? Again, and how do we have victory? How do we walk in newness of life? Again, we go back to what Paul said in verse six. We walk in newness of life by walking according to the Spirit. That we, if we walk according to the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If all we do is eat junk food all day long, when it comes time to eat something nutritious, how is our appetite going to be? It's not going to be there at all. And that's sadly what we do so often as Christians, is that we consume all sorts of things of this world and we feed our carnal nature and we feed our carnal nature and we feed our carnal nature. And then temptation comes along and we say, oh man, how could I fall into temptation like that? Well, it's because you're stunted. You're, you're, you're still in that milk phase. You've been feeding the carnal nature. Right? But when we walk in the Spirit, when we feed, Our spiritual man, when we walk with the Lord, when we read his word, and and when we gather together with other saints, and when we praise his name and go on prayer walks, and we just hang out with the Lord, we walk according to the spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And it's not because we have to, it's because we get to. You're saved either way, you gotta understand that. But do you want to go through this life losing constantly to the carnal man, Or do you want to walk in the victory that was purchased for you on the cross? And that really is the question. And that's where the matter of will comes in. Paul wrestles that, man, it's the things I want to do, I don't. and The things I don't want to do, I do. Temptation comes anyways. How do we overcome that? We walk in the spirit that we will not fill the lust of the flesh. And then the last two verses, and we'll be done. Verse 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So Paul says, who's going to deliver me? How how, how am I going to be delivered from this situation? And then he answers his own question. What's the answer? It's always Jesus. Kids, if you're in youth group, just always say Jesus. It'll always get you candy. The youth pastor asks a question, Hand goes up, Jesus, candy comes your way because the answer is always Jesus and that's what Paul says. It's not a matter of how, it's a matter of who. Not how am I going to go through this you know, 12-step program or do this thing to be delivered? No, you've already been delivered. You get victory. It's not a how, it's a who. Look to Jesus. He is uh, the answer. And again, it's not because we have to, it's because we get to. But what a cool thing that that is. It's just a whole different dynamic with that changes everything. Man, we've been set free from, from the bondage of sin. We've been set free from the bondage of the law. And although there's temptation, although there's this warring going on, man, the answer is the Lord. We've been united with Christ. Let us be those who walk in the spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Just simply hang out with the Lord and enjoy the Lord. And as you do, if you will, what you'll find is that those things that were so tempting to you before, they just lose their sparkle. It really is true. Those things that you're wrestling with, man, just hang out with the Lord more. The more you hang out with the Lord, the less pull the world has on you. And by the way, the Lord is a great guy to hang out with. Man, enjoy what the Lord has done for you. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for the truths that we read in Paul's letter to the Romans Lord, this thing of sanctification, Lord, whereby we're being set apart day by day, that as we walk with you, we grow in you, as we mature. Lord, that's what you desire for us, and that's what we desire for ourselves. But Lord, we we feel like Paul sometimes. We're wrestling this thing out, where we just feel trapped, and man, we're doing these things I don't want to do, and the things I really wish I was doing, I'm not doing, and Lord, help us to come to that place where where Paul landed. Oh, wretched body, who's going to deliver me from you? That it's not how am I going to deliver myself, but it's that we've already been delivered by Jesus. That we're free to pursue him. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a hunger and a thirst to just walk with you and enjoy you. Your word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you're so good. And I pray that where we've forgotten, Lord, that we would taste and see again. And that as we walk with you, as we walk in the Spirit, that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That we just flat out walk in the joy and the forgiveness and the freedom that you purchased for us. Thank you, Lord, that we're not bound to the old man. Thank you that we're not in bondage to the law, but we're free in you. We love you, Lord. Help us to walk in that freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.